Welcome to the very first episode of the Gynecology Saloon, the podcast for uh, ninth semester medical students. We are recording at the University of Oslo, Norway. I'm Peter Fedorchak, and today we are going to talk about fertilization and early embryonic development with Anamika Chaudhry. We are also going to tell you whether or not the human eggs uh, can count to two, so make sure you listen all the way to the end. In the gynecology salon, we are going to cover diverse uh, subjects in reproductive physiology and women's health. We are going to rehearse topics from the basic science classes, and we are also going to talk about clinical subjects that are new during this semester. If you have uh, questions uh, or suggestions for a topic or comments to the show, please contact us, contact us on Twitter at uh, GIN Saloon. Uh, now it's uh, time to welcome uh, Anamika Chaudhry to the Gynecology Saloon. Anamika is a senior clinical embryologist, uh, which means that she's having the smallest uh, patients uh, in the world, just a few cell large. Uh, if anyone, Anamika knows everything worth knowing about fertilization and um, early embryonic development, our topic today. So, Anamika, welcome joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, Anamika, let's start with this fertilization, the first topic. Mm-hmm. So, we are just after uh, heterosexual vaginal intercourse and the sperm is deposited in the vagina. How does it find the egg? Right. So, um, the sperm must first go through a series of physiological and biochemical changes. Collectively, these are known as capacitation. And this is a significant prerequisite for fertilization. So you have a heterologous sperm population that essentially moves from a more membrane-stabilizing seminal plasma into the vaginal mucus. We have ultrastructural elements in the mucus, and this facilitates the washing of the sperm, thereby increasing its permeability to ions such as calcium. I'm going to revisit the importance of this a little later, But what I do want to say is that the minute the sperm enters, almost instantly leukocytes infiltrate the mucus and produce reactive oxygen species. And this actually happens to have a pro-capacitation effect. It actually has no effect on normal sperm, but a deleterious effect on compromised sperm. Okay, so this is, so you're talking about capacitation. What is it really? Um, It's basically just a series of physiological and biochemical changes. And so the idea is for the sperm to find the egg. So that's why you need the capacitation. But you have to actually help the sperm get out of the seminal plasma. And that is key. It's probably so easy in vivo, like in a woman's body, body, because the sperm just passes through the uh, female reproductive tract. But how come that we can still do fertilization in the lab? Right. Um, Well, the whole point of fertilization in vitro, you have to remember, is to essentially mimic everything that's happening in the the natural world anyway. So a very common um, IVF technique that we do is called a swim-up. So in this method, let's say, for example, we deposit one ml of semen at the bottom of a test tube filled with media. Okay. And we let the um, sperm swim upwards towards the meniscus. And what we're essentially doing here is we're selecting sperm based on their motility and ability to swim outside of the seminal plasma and thereby mimicking capacitation. So it is somehow to remove the seminal plasma that is the key. So uh, this would happen in in vivo uh, while the sperm passes through the female reproductive tract. But uh, I mean, it's really a long way to swim. Yes. So how how is the sperm coming uh, so the, to the egg? So the sperm actually has a lot of mitochondria in its tail, which is it's packed with energy. And the whole point is it has to 
find its way to the egg. And one thing that also helps um, the sperm find its way to the egg is chemical concentration gradients. And uh, let's say that this uh, your sperm has found the egg. So uh, what would happen then? How would it enter? That's actually a very fascinating process because there's a number of things that actually happen simultaneously for the sperm to enter the egg. Um, so what happens is, earlier I mentioned that the sperm becomes permeable to ions such as calcium. And as the intercellular calcium concentrations reach threshold, um, the sperm then prepares for a reaction that is known as um, the acrosome reaction. And basically, the acrosome is a small membrane-bound um, cap that covers a portion of the sperm head. Mm -hmm. And inside is an array of hydrolytic enzymes. So, um, But I also want to talk about the egg. On the outside of the oocyte, you have this protective shell that is known as a zona pellucida. And this is basically made out of sheets of glycoproteins that is a few macrometers thick. So when the capacitated sperm attaches itself to the zona via exocytosid, it releases the acrosomal contents, and these enzymes then dissolve a pathway through the zona. Does that make sense? The sperm is like puking out like uh, yes, some enzymes through that the would, head. Uh, through the head. Yes. So it would dissolve the capsule of, yes. the, of the egg. Okay, I understand. Yes. Yeah. Um, another important reaction that actually takes place is there are these um, spherical membrane-bound organelles like on the periphery of the oocyte. So the minute the sperm attaches, um, these organelles touch the oocyte uh, plasma membrane and a cortical reaction occurs. And this basically causes the zona to harden. So I think now we come to the point uh, that uh, we need to explain something interesting, uh, Anamika, is it? Sure. So whether the oocytes can count or not? Um, can the oocytes count in an evolutionary manner, perhaps? I mean, there's a couple of things I definitely want to say. And first, I'd like to highlight a protein called Juno. And Juno lies on the zona pellucida. And there have been several studies that have been done, and they basically conclude that Juno is extremely important and is highly expressed in the zona pellucida. And if um, any sperm wants to bind to the egg, there has to be Juno. No Juno, no fusion. On the other hand, there are also several mouse studies that conclude that when um, a receptor, a zona pellucida receptor 3, is hydrolyzed, it prevents all further interaction with the sperm. And lastly, the cortical reaction that I just told you about, yes. I mean... It is believed that this may have evolved specifically as a polyspermy block because the minute the zona hardens, nothing else can enter. Okay, I understand. So, in fact, uh, it seems that the egg can count to one. Yes. And can prevent uh, needing to count to two. Yes. So, there must be this Juno proteins that yes. uh, uh, say it. it basic so, basically, you just need Juno. Um, Juno is highly expressed. So, when you have no Juno... On the egg. If there's no Juno on the egg, yes. then no sperm can fuse. So you need Juno, for sure. So that is something that promotes fusion. So no Juno, no fusion. Yes. So after the first sperm enters, Juno is removed. Uh, yes, perhaps. I'm not entirely sure. But all I, all I do know is that you need Juno for fusion. That's a separate point. Another point is the cortical reaction that takes place. It causes the... Um, Zona to harden and therefore nothing else can enter. Uh, but uh, still, the conclusion is that they can count to, to one. Yes. At least. Yes. So let's go further now. Uh, okay. 
so the sperm enters the egg. Yes. And how is it? Does the whole sperm enter? The yes. Tail and the, yes. All the... Yes, indeed. Uh, the entire, the whole sperm enters the egg. Um, so after penetrating the zona and the oolema, the sperm nuclear envelope dissolves and the chromatin starts to decondense. And by the time the decondensation is done, the female pronucleus is formed. Um, and the sperm nucleus enters the oocyte cortex and it starts developing a male pronucleus. And of course, uh, like I said earlier, even though the entire um, sperm enters, uh, like the tail, for instance, it, it, is, it later degenerates. So now we have a sperm that entered the egg. Yes. And it already formed the pronucleus. So it's yes. deconsent the chromosomes. Yep. So now the first part of uh, this uh, fertilization is over. Yes. So I think then it's time that we visit the bar in this saloon <laughs> and take a short break. Yes, of course. Hi, Anamika. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, I heard, Anamika, that uh, you, you said that uh, the sperm enters the egg completely. Yeah. What happens to the mitochondrial DNA then? Well, the mitochondrial DNA is broken down. Um, but you also have to remember that the mitochondrial DNA is strictly inherited from the mother, not from the father. And because it is uh, when the sperm DNA enters the egg, it's just broken down? Yes. Okay, so it is something like uh, inheriting the Y chromosome from uh, that, just the father? <laughs> that definitely strictly comes from the father and not the mother at all. Thank you, Alamika. Cheers. Cheers. You are listening to the Gynecologist Saloon. My name is Peter Fedoshak and our guest of the show today is Anamika Chaudhry. Uh, senior clinical embryologist and the wizard of uh, small patients. Uh, we are talking with uh, Anamika about fertilization and early development. Uh, so far we heard about how the sperm finds its way through the reproductive tract and how it attaches, attaches to the uh, oocyte, how it enters it and how uh, it, it only one sperm can enter the egg. Now let's turn to the errors of fertilization. Uh, so exactly how, how you know, uh, Anamika, that the egg is properly fertilized? Fertilized or not, right. So um, in vitro, about, let's say, around 15 to 17 hours after fertilization, we check for signs of success. Um, so given that the oocyte has completed both meiosis 1 and meiosis 2, we expect to see two polar bodies. And given that the sperm has successfully activated the oocyte with the help of a calcium signaling pathway, we expect to see two haploid nuclei, um, which for, which is essentially one maternal and one paternal. Mm. Yeah. And uh, these nuclei you call? Yes. Pro-nuclei. Yes. Okay. And uh, I guess that uh, this is something that not uh, always goes uh, fine. So there must be some errors there, otherwise uh, we were not doing embryology. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, very often there are uh, common errors. In fact, one of the worst things that can possibly happen is when there is complete fertilization failure. And the thing is that this could be due to several factors. It could be a sperm factor, it could be an egg factor, or it could even be a combination of both. So now 
With standard IVF, for instance, if we saw no fertilization, we would assume that there's a defective sperm, zona, pellucida binding, and penetration defect, right? Um, and we would conclude that it is mainly due to abnormalities in the sperm, not the egg. However, uh, I guess one thing we have to acknowledge is that is a calcium signaling paradigm that I was talking about earlier is essential for the completion of multiple events of egg activation. And there's one specific um, sperm protein that has been highlighted in numerous clinical studies, and it's called PLC zeta. And this, if there are defects or mutations in PLC zeta, it has actually been directly linked um, to cases of male factor infertility. So if I understand correctly, this can be a kind of a a factor that the sperm brings into the egg, this PLC zeta, that would initiate uh, fertilization? Is it a correct interpretation? Yes. So the sperm definitely needs PLC zeta. Yes, in order to... Be able to activate Understand. the egg. How about like low sperm motility? What can you do about uh, those samples that... Uh... Right. So under normal circumstances, uh, we try to do IVF. Assuming that the sperm samples are normal, we do IVF. But let's say if there is low motility, there's problems in the concentration in, or in the number of sperm, then we do something that is called ICSI. Okay, that sounds uh, dangerous, yeah? <laughs> um, so ICSI is where the embryologist picks out one sperm okay. and they inject it into the cytoplasm of one egg. Yes, I remember, these are these uh, joystick uh, manipulators <laughs> in the lab. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and how does that go? Would that fix all cases of uh, poor fertilization? So the positive thing about ICSI is the fact that it um, bypasses male factor infertility, so the sperm no longer has to find a way in. As okay. embryologists, we already put one sperm into the egg. Yes. Um, so yes, that helps to a certain degree. Um, however, if it is, but that's only if it's a male factor, if it's female factor, if it's an egg factor, then no, it, this does not solve the whole problem. So it, uh, micro injections would help uh, the lazy sperm, but, uh, it wouldn't fi fix a bad egg. Yes. That when it comes it. to the bad eggs, since we talked about this, uh, counting, what happens if the eggs fail to count correctly? So if it would, right. uh, let in more than one sperm. Right. Okay, so I just want to go through a couple of things, in fact. So under normal circumstances, we discussed that we'd see two polar bodies and two pronuclei. However, sometimes you can get three pronuclei. And often, this can either uh, occur because you have one maternal and two paternal sets, or you can have one paternal and two maternal sets. And it's believed that 3PN can either result from either polyspermic fertilization or oocyte-derived meiotic failure. But I'm just going to talk about when you have one maternal and two paternal sets. And this does occur uh, during IVF. It's not extremely common, but it does occur. Um, so these embryos actually give, can give rise to like perfect blastocysts. However, the outcomes can be extremely unfortunate unfavorable, mm. um, they can actually give rise to molar pregnancies. Therefore, we don't usually transfer uh, embryos with 3PNs. In case we, uh, you don't see a proper maternal and a proper paternal yeah. uh, chromatin, yeah. or at least nucleus in, yeah. the, in the egg, then you just discard it. Yeah. 
And how often is that uh, happening? I'd say maybe 2 to 5% of the cases when it comes to IVF. So it's uh, fairly infrequent how uh, it uh, could cause a serious disease if these embryos are used. Yes. Thank you, Anamika, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And, Pleasure's uh, been mine. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Gynecology Saloon. And uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at GIN Saloon, where we are waiting for your feedback, comments and suggestions. And uh, before you go, please uh, show some love to your favorite podcast by uh, leaving us a review on the Twitter. And um, stay tuned for uh, next week when we're going to talk about how gametes are formed and uh, the origin of most common birth defects. Thank you. <laughs>